We now bring you the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast, featuring the late Dr. Harold B. Seitler, founding pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church and Ministries in Greenville, South Carolina. And now, today's edition of the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. Now your Bible is open to Luke 23 and verse number 33. I want to speak to you as the Lord leads me on the call of Calvary the call of the cross. Now, as often as I can, I love to go to the cross and to preach the cross. I lay last night thinking about the sermon that I brought to you last Sunday morning uh, about the article. I I introduced the sermon with the article that I read in Newsweek magazine. I'm not going to go in that again, but but that article so stirred me and uh, so uh, aroused righteous indignation within my very being that our Lord would be so slandered by an important news publication in our land. Uh, the article called him a mystic and a magician and that he used uh, hypnotism to uh, hypnotize his immediate disciples and many others and uh, so on. In other words, just denying that Jesus is the Lord. You know, in Jude we find that those that crept in unawares, the Bible says are ungodly men, before ordained of God unto this condemnation. And it says, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what that amounts to, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I resent that. I believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. He's my personal Lord and my personal Savior. I come to accept and preach and believe with all my soul All the New Testament teaches me about the Lord Jesus. And when wicked men will cast insinuations against this one altogether lovely, it stirs me to to righteous indignation. And I was so stirred last Sunday as I tried to bring the message in the defense of our Lord from a bitter and vicious attack by his wicked enemies. It seems to me if a man wanted to attack somebody, he would attack somebody that's living. I was talking the other day, I mean somebody living upon the earth, he is alive in heaven. But I was talking the other day about a dead preacher, some preacher, and I'll not call names of course, uh, who is not not now with us. He's gone on to be with the Lord. And uh, in the conversation, the thought occurred to me, uh, this conversation could include some things that ought not to be said about that preacher, or uh, some things that would not necessarily be complimentary. But I said, what's the point? What's the point? The man's dead. He's not here to defend himself, and so nothing was said, nothing, absolutely nothing was said. Uh, It seems to me that a a man would be a coward to attack the person that couldn't defend himself. And that's what the articles like that does that. And so I came to the defense of our Lord last Sunday and tried to show you that though the world looks upon him as a magician or some sort of a worker of magic and a user of hypnotism. To me, he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings and star out of Jacob, bright and morning stars. Our Sunday school lesson said on last Sunday, he's wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, everlasting Father. And all the Bible says about him, I believe that and I accept that. And so today I want us to go to Calvary and think about the cross. Brother Don I sang about the cross a moment ago, and then all of us with our hymn books turned a moment ago, sang the old rugged cross, and now the preacher is about to read about Calvary from the Bible. Luke 23 and verse 33. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him 
and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his clothing and cast lot. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, uh, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also, mocking him, coming to him, offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. This is the king of the Jews. And when they were come to a place called Calvary. Now as far as I'm concerned, the most important place in all the earth is Calvary. The most important event in all history is the work of Christ upon Calvary. And the greatest benefit that any human person has ever enjoyed from any benefactor is the benefit of eternal life wrought for you and me upon Calvary by the death of our Lord. Calvary, precious the thought, and real the reality, and powerful the result of Calvary. Now in spite of skeptics and agnostics who say, if thou be the Son of God. Now I don't say that. Nor do you say that because all of us are completely persuaded that he is the son of God. I don't, I don't bring the question if he be the son of God, but I proclaim the reality to you. He is the son of God. In him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And yet the Christ of God gave himself to the old rugged cross upon Calvary and died a gory death, shed all of his blood, breathed his last breath, yielded up the ghost and received the full execution of the judgment of God in his body for your sins and for mine. Calvary, the blessed reality of it, I rejoice within it if I know my heart. Calvary, as old as God, as ancient as the ancient of days, God's plan, God's will, God's purpose, Calvary. Sometimes the liberals and the modernists say uh, how tragic Jesus died such an untimely death. Uh, had he only been able to have lived to have been 70 years old, what great good he could have wrought in the earth had he only lived to have been three score and ten. He died so tragically early at the age of 33, but not so, my friend. I submit to you that Jesus accomplished in those 33 years all that God planned that he accomplished in his lifetime. And had he lived longer, it would have been out of the will of God. Had he lived longer, it would have destroyed. It would have destroyed the purpose of God. Had he lived longer, it would have disrupted the plan of God. Jesus died as, as to prophecy in relation to place. Jesus died as to prophecy in relation to manner. Jesus died as to prophecy in relation to fashion. Jesus died on as to prophecy in relation to the day. He died not one day early nor one day late, but he died when God planned that he died. You remember when they apprehended Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and carried him to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. That's when Peter, you remember, followed afar off. And uh, that's when he denied the Lord and he sat down with the servants, it says, uh, in the basement of the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, while the Lord upstairs alone, now note, upstairs alone, our Lord stood before that Sanhedrin court. 
and they judged him and indicted him and condemned him while Peter was downstairs warming his hands by the fires of the world and a maiden came and said you're one of these disciples he said no no I don't know this man another maiden came and said we are sure you're one of these disciples your speech betrays you and he used profanity and denied the Lord and the third time it with profane words he denied in you the Savior but you know upstairs in that court of religious leaders one of those leaders said Matthew 26 and verse number uh, 52 says that one of the leaders said we can't kill this man now why if we crucify this man tomorrow tomorrow's a Passover and they said all of Israel will rise up in rebellion we cannot allow this man's body to be placed upon the cross tomorrow because if it does it'll remain upon the cross during the time of the Passover feast and Israel would object to that but you know the fact is they did kill him they did crucify him and they crucified him on tomorrow on the feast of the Passover day on the very day of the atonement on the very day that every Passover lamb since the day of Moses right down to that day, the 14th day of the month of April, Jesus died on that day. He couldn't die on the 15th day, nor the 13th day. He had to die on the 14th day because that's the appointed time of the slaying of the Passover lamb. And those leaders said, we can't do it. But they did do it. And they did it because it was God's time. The hour struck. All things are ready. And the lamb laid his life down and gave his body to the cross and died to pay my sin debt and to pay yours. When I think of that, I marvel at how precise, how deliberate, how accurate, how positive the Bible is. These wise men that talk about magic, these wise men, I say that in uh, quotation marks, these wise men that talk about being hypnotized, these wise men that make Jesus no more than an Egyptian magician. I want to say to you that Jesus Christ died according to Bible prophecy and not according to his own devices or the wisdom of some uh, ma magician or, or, or Egyptian magic. No, no, my friend. Jesus is the Christ of God. And when his hour came, when the hour appointed uh, came a reality on God's eternal clock, then Jesus laid his life down upon the cross. He gave his body to the cross. He died upon the cross to pay your sin debt and to pay my sin debt. And I want to report to you that it's been paid. Hallelujah. It's paid amply. It's paid sufficiently. And the grace of God wrought at Calvary is so ample and so sufficient that whosoever will may come and take of the water of life freely. Though your sins be as scarlet, uh, as, as Melvin sang today on the TV, there's room at the cross. Though millions have come, there's yet room for one. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's room yet for one. The cross is ample. You believe that? The cross is ample. And whosoever will may come and take of the water of life freely. Oh, the triumph of the cross. The glory of the cross. The victory of the cross overwhelms my soul. Yes, Jesus died upon Calvary to pay your sin debt and to pay my sin debt. Now I want to talk to you a moment about the cross and some things about it that's worthy, I think, of your noting and mine. Uh, through the cross, I pray that each of us may see a Calvary in the Spirit. As I bring the message, I pray. At Calvary, sin was put away. Satan was defeated. The law was satisfied. 
The law was magnified. The love of God was manifested. Self was crucified. The world was transfixed and heaven was open. Peace was made. Forgiveness was provided. Holiness was secured. And communion was assured. Cleansing was procured. And glory was entered. One look at the cross will show to the world what a miserable sinner each of us are. And the tarry at the cross will redeem the vilest of the vile if you'll only come to the cross. There's room at the cross. There's provision at the cross. There's atonement at the cross. There's blood at the cross. There's liberty at the cross. I often say in my preaching that the ground at Calvary is level ground. And every man in all the earth is the same size at the cross. All the sinners, all alike are indicted. All alike are guilty. And I'm saying that all alike can enjoy a common salvation wrought and provided for me and you by the work of our Lord at Calvary's brow. Now when we see the cross, what do we see? I remind you first of all, we see the price of our salvation. Oh, how great the price it was. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20, for we are bought with a price. We're bought with a price. And we're told in 1 Peter chapter 1 that this price is far greater than silver and gold. The one thing that men measure riches by in this world canker and become moth-eaten in the eyes of God and becomes worthless when put down and compared with the glory of the precious atoning blood of God's Son. Oh, what price. We're bought with a price. Your mother didn't buy you with her life savings. Your daddy didn't buy you with all of his skill and with all of your inheritance from him. Yeah, no, no, you're bought with the price. If you're redeemed today, the law did not do it. Your good works did not accomplish it. Your determination does not avail. But if you're saved by the grace of God, all of us in unison can point to the cross and declare, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. The price of my salvation I see at the cross, for we are bought with a price. We're bought with a price, and the price is nothing less than the atoning shed blood of the Christ of God given freely for me and for you upon the cross. Do you see that today? Not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb, without blemish and without spot, the price of my redemption I see when I look at the cross. And because we're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are God's. I belong to God since I've been bought with a price. The price has been amply paid. And my sins are atoned far completely. They're all washed away completely. The price is ample. Not, not one of us have ever been shortchanged at Calvary. You come to the cross and you'll find that the price of your redemption is paid sufficiently. But not only do I see the price of my salvation, but I see second, the pass into God's presence. The pass into God's presence. In Hebrews 10 verse 19, having therefore brethren boldness to enter into his presence, to enter into the holiest now, how in the world would I have boldness to enter into the presence of God or to enter into the holiness, to the holiest? Back in the Old Testament, when that high priest carried the blood of the lamb behind the veil and offered that lamb at the mercy seat, nobody in all the camp was allowed behind that veil 
except the high priest and he only on the great day of atonement and not even he without blood. Well now, if only the high priest could go behind the veil, then how in the world could I expect ever to go behind the veil? Well, my soul, I cannot go. And if any man in all Israel dare have boldness behind that veil, the judgment of God fell upon him and he died. There was a man in David's day who reached up and put his hand on that Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. And the moment he touched it, he died at Nacor's threshing floor. God killed him for touching the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. Well, I dare not approach that mercy seat. I cannot approach God. I have no boldness to stand in God's holy presence. Of course not. I have no pass. I have no access into the presence of God, humanly speaking religiously speaking I dare not go behind that veil but wait a minute wait Hebrews 10 19 having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood there you have it brother amen there's the thing here's the key here's the way here's the secret of boldness in God's presence I dare not stand before God and plead my goodness I did not say, now, Lord, look what I am. Look who I am. Look what I've attained. All of that is filthy rags in the eyes of God. But when I come to God, a miserable, guilty sinner, and say to God, all I've got is the blood of Jesus. He died for me. He died for me. Go ahead and laugh at me. The worldly wise sometimes do. The worldly educated sometimes do. Go ahead and mock at me. The liberals and the modernists sometimes do. Go ahead and call me an old-fashioned fundamentalist. Sometimes people do. Go ahead and classify me as from another day. Go ahead. I've been thus classified. But I want you to know that beneath the cross of Christ, I take my stand. And all I've got in time and eternity is the shed blood of God's only begotten Son. And I submit to you that this is my past into the presence of God, having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. I want to say to you that I stand before you today atoned. Somebody said, Brother Harold, aren't you afraid of dying? No. Aren't you afraid of seeing God? No. I was riding with Brother Troy the other night. He went to the door meeting. He told me about a man that he knew one time that died a horrible death. Screaming, begging, and had to have people attend his death to try to quieten him down. Doctors had to administer all kinds of things to quieten him down. Oh, the contrast. Let my end be as the end of a righteous man. Let my death be as the death of a righteous man. And I'm, I submit to you, I expect to do that. When I come to the end of my journey, I told you the other day that the greatest day I'll ever live will be my last one. Aren't you afraid? No. Why should I be afraid? I have boldness to enter into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if I had to go into God's presence on, on the basis of my preaching, or if I had to walk into God's presence on the basis of my good works, if I had to walk into God's presence on the basis of my worth, I'd fear and tremble. But when I go into the presence of God, pleading the atoning blood of God's eternal lamb, I have boldness, therefore, the passing to God's presence, Calvary. Then I want you to note, third Calvary, I see the perpetuation of our guilt. 
In Romans 3.25, here's a favorite verse of mine. And oftentimes when I preach in Romans, especially chapter 3, I linger long at verse 25. In that verse, Paul says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Now, I think most of the folk here at Tabernacle know what the word propitiation means. That's a big word. And sometimes we stumble at it. We say, now, what in the world? Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. What is that? Through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins of the past. What is a propitiation? A perpetuation is a place or a person or a ground or an authority upon which I can stand and rely and plead my case with confidence. When the high priest carried the blood behind the veil in the tabernacle in the wilderness, he immediately dipped his finger in that blood and sprinkled the mercy seat seven times with the blood of the lamb slain at the brazen altar. Then he dipped the second time and sprinkled the ground in front of the mercy seat seven times of that blood of the lamb slain at the brazen altar, Calvary. Now in the tabernacle, there was no floor. When he sprinkled the ground, he literally sprinkled the ground. And having sprinkled that ground with the blood of the lamb slain at the brazen altar, then the priest unshod. And though the priest wore an elaborate garment, his feet was always unshod, always in contact with the dirt. Unshod, the priest stood over on that spot of ground sprinkled by blood. And that spot of ground thus became ground of perpetuation. And as long as that priest stood upon that spot of ground, sprinkled by blood, he could plead before God at the mercy seat for all the sins of the people of Israel as their mediator. And that ground became a place of authority and a right to plead for the people before God. Now, Jesus, is that for me? Did you hear what I said? Jesus is my ground of perpetuation. I live and move and have my being in Jesus. I stand upon Jesus. I'm clothed in Jesus. I anchor myself in Jesus. I abide in Jesus. I plead my cause before God in his precious name. The moment I depart from him, I have no perpetuation. I have no authority. But as I stand in him, I have boldness and I have perpetuation. I have a ground before which I can stand upon, reconciled and justified before a holy God. Do you need that today? It's provided for you. Say, Brother Harold, I'm filled up with fear at the thought of death. I sometimes become horrified. What's it going to be like when I die and when I see God? Oh, my soul. If you're sheltered and refuged in the blood, it's going to be a blessed experience when you see God. You have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Nothing. You need not fear death nor the grave because my Lord was victor over both. You need not fear eternity because he's the light of that other world in which they will need no sun because he's the light of that city. And if he's your Lord and your Savior, you need fear anything. He's our ground of perpetuation and sufficiently so. But at Calvary, not only do I see that, but I see also the peacemaker for our reconciliation. In Colossians 1.20, here's a favorite verse. If you don't have it underscored in your Bible, let's do it right now. Colossians 1.20. Look at it in your Bible. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. 
Amen. How much gospel? That verse is pregnant with gospel truth, isn't it? Having made peace. How? With your silver and gold? Perish the thought. By your good works? Of course not. By being baptized? Never. By being a Baptist? That'll not work. By being a Roman Catholic? You're just as far away from it as you can be. Having made peace by the blood of his cross. And I want to say to you dogmatically, there's no other way for a sinner to make peace with God except by the blood of Jesus Christ. You deny the blood atonement, you cut the very heart of the gospel out and trample it under your unhallowed feet. You deny the Savior and you deny the only Lord God and you deny the Lord Jesus by so doing. He alone, he alone is the peacemaker. Mary is not the peacemaker. If you're anchoring your hope in the virgin, with all due respect to the virgin, the virgin will never be a peacemaker. She cannot be. She doesn't have it in her endowment, nor her grace or her ability to be the peacemaker for a single sinner that's ever lived. If you've got your hope in the church, as great as that church may be, Tabernacle, Calvary, Roman Catholic, Presbyterian, Methodist, Pentecostal, name it. There's not a one in the world that can make peace with God between one sinner and Almighty God. But having made peace by the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether there be things in earth or things in heaven, when I see Calvary, I see the peacemaker for our reconciliation. Peace has been made by the blood of Jesus Christ. I stand before you today redeemed, having had peace wrought between me and God. Amen. I'm not an enmity against God. God is not my enemy. I'm not God's enemy. We're on peaceful terms, have been for many years, and shall continue to be for throughout a ceaseless eternity. God is my father. I'm his son. And you're my brethren. All wrought for me and you by the blood of Christ upon Calvary's brow, the peacemaker of our reconciliation. There may be a sinner listening to me now. And you say, how in the world can I have peace? Peace. I had several folk counsel with me this week, and I, I noticed one gentleman here today that I counsel with, and I'm so proud and happy that he came. I invited him to come to hear me preach today, and I'm so proud he's here. And then I counseled with a young lady one day this week. And the young lady in particular really moved me. She wept. And I felt so sorry for her. Her lips quivered. And tears filled her eyes. She said, Preacher, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? That's pitiful. She may be here this morning. Or she may be here in the tabernacle. I hope she is. What can I do? And I... I, I, I wanted just so much to try to help her. Uh, some of you have been there, haven't you? Some of you have uh, you've wrung your hands and cried, what can I do? What can I do? I'm a miserable, guilty sinner. My conscience indicts me. My soul is black. My life is sinful. What can I do? And I'm afraid to see God. What can I do? Sometimes folk get that way in a backslidden condition. 
You depart from God like old David and fall into sin and, and it catches up with you and you wring your hands and cry, what can I do? What can I do? And I fell for that young lady. My heart went out to her in real, real sympathy. And I tried to show to her that it was done. And there's not a thing in the world you can do to have peace with God. Well, can I bring a gift preacher and, and uh, turn some money over to you and, and let you build another station out in the Shahara? No, that won't do it. Well, I preacher, if I'll come and let you baptize me in that water, that won't do it. Well, I tell you, preacher, I'll turn over new leaves and I'll start working and I'll do better. I'll give everything I've got. No, that won't do it. No, the only peacemaker is the blood of Jesus Christ. And I tried to show that young lady that peace has been wrought for me and you and her by the shed blood of Christ. And the moment you come to accept that and rely upon that and believe in that, peace is made. Amen. You don't know how bad a sinner I am. It doesn't make any difference. In God's eyes, it's no more difficult to cleanse a little sin than it is a bad sin, if there be such. It makes no difference. It makes no difference. Whatever that sin may be, God can wash it white as the driven snow, as old Dr. Alakin says, as white as the down on an angel's wings. God can purge you and cleanse you if you'll come to the cross. Hallelujah. I'm glad that's so. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I talked with a man this week. I was in a camp meeting over in North Carolina this week, and a, and a fella, a rough-looking fella, was right on the front seat in the amen corner. And uh, he'd smile at me while I was preaching, and he'd nod his head, and he'd say amen, time or two, he'd put his hand up and say glory. And he got there a little early one night, and my wife and I were there a little bit early one night. She was with me, and he got talking. And we he told me about the night before how he got converted. And how wonderful the experience was. He said, he said, I, I wasn't giving God a thought. I was having a big time. I was living it up. I was drinking and gambling. I did everything a sinner desired to do. I was that. And he said, one day I was out at the country club. And I'd been playing golf or something at the country club. And he said, God broke into my soul. And he said, I don't until this day understand how God got to me. But God broke upon my soul, and he said, I said to the man seated at the table next to me, I'm going to church tomorrow. And they all laughed at him. He said, I haven't been to church. I hadn't been to church in years. And when I said, I'm going to church tomorrow, he said, I just announced, I'm going to church tomorrow. And they all ha -ha, laughed at him. But he said, you know, the next morning I got up and announced to my wife, we're going to church. And got my kids get together and went to church. He said, I don't understand why I did. But he said, I, I just said, we're going to church. And he got his family and marched down to the house of God. And he said, you know, when the preacher preached and gave an invitation before I knew what I was doing, I was walking down that church aisle. And God saved my soul. And he said, my wife got saved. She came to me last night, shook my hand, tears streaming down her face and said, you've been such a blessing to us this week. And she said, she followed me down the aisle and God saved my wife and my staff. Isn't that wonderful that God can do that? Amen. <laughs> oh, Paul Spry. So I sometimes think about Paul Spry. It used to be, still is at Landis Church up in, uh, in China Grove where Brother Blackman used to pastor. 
And the first time I preached in that church back more than 20 years ago, back in 51 or 52, uh, Paul Spry had just gotten saved. And uh, he, he's got a tremendous personality, happy sort of a fella, nice, handsome young fella. Then he was young. He's uh, just about as old as I am, I guess. But anyway, uh, he, um, uh, he said I was so dirty and mean until I didn't even know how to get in the church. He said, I actually, he wasn't joking. He said, I really mean it. I didn't know how to go in. When I arrived at church, I didn't know how to go in the church. And he said, he said, I was out in the field and God broke into my soul. And I went down into the woods and got to pray and me, a drinker and a gambler. And he'd fight. He said, I used to fight a chainsaw. He fought, you remember old big bass singer. Him and when they were both in sin, Basinger's a great big man, six, four, five inches tall, weighs 300 pounds. Paul crawled on him one day and Basinger threw him through a plate glass when they were both drunks, both sinners. And Paul thought he could beat up Basinger and Basinger liked to kill him. He's told me that himself. But anyway, he said, God broke into my soul down there in those woods and saved me, saved me. Isn't that wonderful? Made peace between Paul Spry and God. And he said that was on Saturday and the next day I said I'm going to church and he said when I got to church I didn't know how to get in the place. And I got there late, the Lord had started Sunday school, everybody was on the inside and I didn't know how to go in. And he said I was just about the burst with glory and joy. And they were having homecoming day and they put up a picnic table in the back and he got up on that table and started running back and forward and shouting. And some of the deacons heard him out there making that commotion on the picnic table and went out and found Paul Spry, not a drunk, but saved. Amen. And they showed him how to get in. And it wasn't long after that until I met him. And he's still shouting until this day. Isn't that wonderful? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Peace. Peace. By the blood of Jesus Christ. Perish with your money. Don't you bring your money to me. Perish with your talent. Don't you boast of your talent. Perish with your good looks. Don't you dare mention that. Perish with your fine satin and silks. Don't mention that. But you bring an old dirty Paul Spry. You'll bring an old drunkard bass singer. Yeah. Bring that old boy that I told you about up in Illinois, North Carolina. And get him good and lost and, and, and dangling over the pits of hell. And then let him catch a glimpse at Calvary. And he'll never get over it, brother. He'll learn that there's peace indeed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I see at Calvary the peacemaker of our reconciliation. That again, at Calvary I see the power of the Christian life. In Hebrews 13, 3, 13, 6 I read, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what men shall do unto me. The helper, the power of a Christian life. Because of Calvary, I have what I have, and I am what I am. And by the strength that I can glean from Calvary, I can avail and travail and persevere to God's glory. And then again at Calvary, I see the provider of our blessings. In Hebrews 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. At Calvary, the provider of every blessing you've ever had. I want to extol that name and magnify that name and recommend that name. Oh, what Greenville needs and what some of you in this building may need is Jesus. A good job is fine. 
and a nice shiny new automobile is desirable and a beautiful home is very convenient fine clothing that's great money to jangle in your pocket that's all right but to have Jesus in your heart wait a minute preacher you didn't have to say that why didn't you keep on talking about clothing and automobile houses and money that's right that's what the world wants me to talk about but those things don't satisfy you yeah you may have a nice home and can't sleep well you may have a nice automobile but can't enjoy it you may have money in the bank but be grossly unhappy but if you get Jesus, you, you may have bad health and still be happy. You may live in a shack, but you'll think it's a mansion. You may eat a potato, but it'll be all right if the Lord blesses it. You'll be satisfied when the Lord is in your heart. I'd rather have Jesus than anything in the world. He's the provider of every blessing I need. And all I need, I find in him. He's my sufficiency. And the day will never be, but that I won't find all sufficiency at the cross. Whatever the need might be, it's provided. Then again, last but certainly not least, at the cross, I see the plea of our testimony. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. My plea. My plea. Jesus. Jesus. Bill Harvey sings the song sometimes, my plea. I think it's a beautiful song. And he says, my plea is Calvary. And that's it. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to say, now, Lord, don't you remember? Long years I preached and I burned myself. I wore myself out physically, mentally. I gave myself without any reservation. I, that won't be mentioned. Lord, you, you check the books at Tabernacle. I gave a lot of money. Forget it. Lord, I, I witnessed all along. No, no, that's good, but not that. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to point to the most wonderful person on the horizon. And there'll be some great people in heaven, Michael and Gabriel, the cherubims and seraphims, and an innumerable company of angels. But I'm going to pass all those by and look full into the face of one person. And I'm going to point to that one person. And I'm going to say to God the Father and God the Holy Ghost, Jesus paid it all. And I'm in heaven because he died upon the cross to make it possible. And now as I come in, I don't plead the fact that I'm a Baptist or a pastor, but I come in to plead the name of Jesus for my testimony. I'm in heaven because of him. And now my friend, if you're not going to heaven, if you're not redeemed today, you can go to heaven. You can be redeemed because of him. My plea, I see at Calvary, the plea of my testimony. We will bow our heads and pray. Every head bowed. I want everybody to stand to your feet, everybody throughout the empowered world. We thank you for listening to the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. If this sermon was a blessing to you, please share and invite others to listen and join us next time on the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast.